me ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We have been, uh, of course, in the book of Acts for some time, the empowered church, and yet when we have communion, we're in kind of a mini-series and have been looking at uh, the various commandments and how that fits with God's grace. Now, we read this commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You remember the original Wizard of Oz. Now, there have been some great plays and so on that have been uh, uh, newer versions and And yet, uh, many of you probably grew up with it, or some of you are still watching it uh, on TV. There is a scene, and it's the the scene in some ways of of culmination when they, they finally get to Oz, and they are about to see the wizard, the wizard who is uh, supposed to be able to address all of their needs and problems. This is a good time for this to go up because I'm, I'm about to talk like the wizard here. And you, you see what, uh, what, what happens is they are, uh, in order to get to the wizard, they have to walk down this long, gothic hallway, and there we see all kinds of smoke and explosions and, and things going on. And, and finally... When the smoke clears, there is this huge headless body, or uh, headless body there, and, and you see the wizard. What are you doing here? Dorothy begins to answer, and he says, Silence! I know why you're here. I am Oz the Great and terrible. Who are you? Now, we know what happens. He tries to intimidate each of them, and he does a pretty good job of it uh, in terms of putting them down and, and that type of thing. And then they realize, because the dog who is always the hero, the dog exposes it's just a, a little man back behind a curtain, making him look like He has some kind of a false majesty. There you have him trying to display his his power, his authority, and there's no mercy, there's no grace, there's little help until he's exposed. Unfortunately, too often, there are those who have this uh, truncated view of God, one way or the other. He is that great headless body, 
but no grace or mercy. Or he's just our little buddy that's over here and he wants to help us with all of our little concerns and our problems and fix things in our lives. Either one is a God out of balance and we are in danger of violating this command that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Why is it such a big deal? Why does God make that one of his top ten? Number three on the list. Why is that so essential if we are to really know God? Let's pray, and then we will hear from him. Lord, indeed, we would ask you, why? Why is this so essential? What is it about you that that you're concerned that we won't get unless you tell us not to take your name in vain. What is it about our understanding of that phrase that we need to know more about? Will you teach us today? We're asking you, in the power of your Spirit, to be our teacher. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 6 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal 
that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. This is the word of the Lord. So what's the big deal? That's the big deal. Jonathan Edwards said, A true love of God must begin with a delight in His holiness and not with a delight in any other attribute, for no other attribute is truly lovely without this. And so we begin understanding that one truly encounters God when confronted with His holiness. Here's the rub. Lots of people, I'm one of them, lots of us like to talk about the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And we should. We should never minimize that. But there are less that want to talk about this full-orbed God that is presented in the Scripture. Yes, one full of grace and mercy and love, but one that is holy as well. Look at the vision here. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, and he starts there rooting it in history, In other words, what he's making it clear. Look, this isn't something I'm kind of making up. I can tell you when this happened, it was at a moment in time. It's like saying, well, that was the same year Kennedy was assassinated. This is what happened those that were around, remember, and start thinking of things. So that was a big deal. He begins by, by rooting it. Look, this is a very real thing that, that happened to me. And he says, I saw, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and the train of His robe filled the temple. It's recorded for all of us. Now, if somebody says, I saw the Lord and they reveal this vision under the inspiration of that same God, we need to listen because it's giving us at least a glimpse, a glimpse that we can handle without dying. It's giving us a a, a glimpse of this God, and and this is what it says, verse 2, and 
Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. These are angelic creatures. They are not burdened by sin and sinful uh, desires and impure hearts, but they're still creatures. And even in their lofty status, it's necessary for them to shield their face in the presence of this God. You know, we think of them as being used to being in the presence of God. God gives us a different picture here. Shield their eyes from a direct gaze on his face. Verse 3, one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and that's the crux of Isaiah's vision, the words of the song in the Hebraic form, if you, if you say a word and you say it twice, that's a big deal. That's emphasizing. Truly, truly, I say unto you. In other words, this is absolutely the truth. Here, it uses this attribute of God three times. That's the superlative. Great, greater, greatest. It's the most. It's the only place in the Bible where an attribute of God is elevated to the third degree. The only place. As much as we know, God is being full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. This is the only attribute that is spoken of in that way. R.C. Sproul points out, the Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. What would we do if that happened here? Well, the alarms would go off, okay? <laughs> Our emergency lights would go on, and we'd say, okay, be in an orderly way, let's get out of here. And you know what? If, if, it was from, <clears throat> if it was from God's presence, that would probably be the right reaction. Let's get out of here. I recall a number of years ago going to a, a Billy Graham crusade. We were sitting way up high, and uh, had cooperated with them, been, you know, trained and that kind of thing, and it was, it was before anything had really started, and there was a, a man sitting in, in front of us with his, uh, looked like grandson maybe, 
And all of a sudden, in the whole arena, people started standing up. And I, I thought, what's going on? Is, you know, are things starting? And I looked down and I saw a little bent over black woman walking up onto the platform. And the man in front of us said to his grandson, stand up, son, that's Ethel Waters. We all stood. Rightfully so. In the presence of greatness. And yet, in the presence of God, we would not be standing. We would be on our faces as Isaiah responded. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Encountering His holiness causes us to encounter who we are. Look at what happens. Verse 5, And I said, Woe is me! I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So you've got the whole thing is shaking what could have been Isaiah's responses? He, he could have run. He could have tried to hide. He could have cried. He could have worshipped. He could have fallen down. The seraphim are covering their eyes. And Isaiah says, I looked. I'm a dead man. There's no hope for me. You got me. I deserve to die. In the face of God's holiness, he sees himself. I deserve your judgment. Do you see why you shall not Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do you see why that's important? Essential? Do you, do you get just a glimpse of who this God is? I worked in a warehouse for seven years through uh, college and seminary. I heard thousands, probably tens of thousands of curse words in that warehouse. And a lot of them were from one guy named Sarge. He was. He was a retired Sarge. And it seemed like every few words were some kind of a curse toward man or from God. And I, 
I, I didn't even say anything to him. But I remember one time one of the others who had a foul mouth herself <laughs> being kind of stunned that he couldn't say three or four words. And she said something to him. Every time you talk about God, it's, you know, it's some kind of a curse. And he said this, oh, I don't mean anything by that. Well, that's the point. Being in vain means you you don't mean anything by it. You're not even acknowledging the word that you're using. Now, I've been around a lot of you in a lot of circumstances. And if any of you are a Sarge in your language, you've restrained yourself well around me. I don't think that's our biggest problem in the church in terms of taking the Lord's name in vain. That's not the problem of most Christians. And yet, we are in danger of taking His name in vain And he says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Look, when we profess Christ as Savior, if we live a life of apathy toward him or disobedience, see, those are two levels. One is I I just don't really care. You know, the gospel doesn't really impact me. Or going the other way, even though I profess Christ. Either one of those are taking his name in vain. Making his name meaningless in your life and to those around you. And let me get even closer to home. This morning, in worship, did you use God's name with the reverence of the thrice holy God? With the reverence that that deserves? Or did you simply say words when you sang the hymns? When you recited things? When we worship without thinking, we take His name in vain. And that may be our greatest danger. I have to tell you that it happens to all of us sometimes. And I I prayed specifically as the pastors got together this morning because we on the platform, that's a great danger that we handle the holy things so much that we forget we are handling the holy things. That because of the nature of leading a a service, we may be thinking about the next thing while while we are saying words that are profound. And, And so all of us, 
all of us have got to examine ourselves in that way. But how do we deal with it? What if what I just said to you, whether it was the the language or your life or your apathy or disobedience or worship this morning, so what's our response if we say, I'm guilty too? You know, I just wasn't wasn't thinking. Do, Do we grovel before God and hope He gives us a break? We'll go back to Isaiah 6. It's only His work that can have an impact on us. Isaiah is groveling on the floor alone before God, nothing to conceal him, like our membership vow says, without hope save in His sovereign mercy. I don't have any hope unless God is is merciful to me. He was going to die before God's holiness, and he couldn't help himself, and he knew it. And God sent him a a seraph, an angelic being, to minister to him. Look at verse 6. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. It's a strange scene, isn't it? Picks up a coal, touches. Remember what Isaiah had said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so he takes this coal and basically touches his lips. He touched my mouth, verse 7, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. He experienced the burning off of the uncleanness of his lips. He experienced cleansing. He experienced the fatherhood of God, his grace and mercy. He experienced the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. One more thing, because the account doesn't stop there. The cleansed man responds. Whenever we are cleansed, when we we see God's holiness, we see ourselves and that we are undone and it is hopeless, and then we see redemption that he provides for us and he cleanses us, there's going to be a response. And that's what we see here. Verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is the first time we hear God, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. So he went from being undone, he went from being a dead man to hearing God's call on his life and saying, whatever. He didn't say where. He just said, send me. Whatever it is, I'm the one. And God said, go. He took him up on it. And so what about you? What about us? If you're in Christ... 
if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. Yes, you've, you've taken his name in vain. If you don't think you have, then you haven't looked deep enough. You haven't gotten a glimpse of God yet. But let me just say you have. But you're not undone because of what Christ did on the cross. There is forgiveness. There is redemption. And after cleansing, we are given the opportunity for a response. And today we respond by celebrating that cleansing. By celebrating that we are not undone, not because we've achieved anything, but because of what Christ did. And not only are we not undone, he says, pull up a chair at my table. That's the other side of this holy God that we can't survive in front of except by his grace and forgiveness. And he says, let's eat together. Here's what he says. I delivered this to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, here's what he's saying. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, see, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's saying, well, whatever is holy here, I'm going to treat as profane. It doesn't really mean anything. And God says, anyone who does that eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So don't do that. That's the warning. That's the gracious warning. So un unless you are one who's been redeemed, then I just have to tell you, I'm, I'm delighted you're here. But he's not saying pull up a chair just yet. It's for those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. You see, it's a, a family table. And we want you to watch. And we want you eventually to be able to, to join the family. But, but until you do, watch and, and ask God to show you the truths of this. The body, the blood, given for the forgiveness of sins. We will approach that in just a moment. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask 
that you would give us that discernment so that we would not use your name in vain. We would not eat and drink without discerning the body and blood of Christ. Lord, for those that, that just aren't there yet, help them to restrain themselves and just let it pass by. But for those who, who know you and trust you, who you went to the cross for, whose lips you have touched, Lord, will you help us to take rejoicing in you and use these elements, set them apart from their common everyday use, we ask, this fruit of the vine, this bread, and use them to grow us spiritually, to nourish us. And Lord, will you satiate our souls with your fatness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.